Well, we're going to continue on the series of My Best Advice, and the topic for today is My Best Advice on Marriage. And uh, it says up here, of course I can accept you for who you are. You are someone I need to change. <laughs> so we're actually, we're going to talk against that. But um, there'd be quite a few things uh, that I could share maybe uh, with you about marriage, good and bad. Um, God definitely has been gracious to me and taught me many things over the years. But for our purposes today, I'm just going to stick to, I'm going to go to uh, boil it down to three things. And uh, I, uh, I'm a coach, or and I've coached a lot in the past, and I'm a pretty basic, I like to go back to the basics. And these are three basic things. We're going to talk about don't try to change your spouse, number one. Focus on meeting the needs of your spouse. And focus on changing yourself. And so I think these apply to all of our relationships um, that, that we have. And we as Christians, I believe, have a responsibility to become masters at relationships. Uh, or, or at the very least, improve on our relationships. Because that's what it's about. So number one piece of advice. Don't try to change your spouse. That's it, folks. We could end right here. Have a great day. <laughs> Don't try to change your spouse. It doesn't work. That's the main first thing I want to tell you. Amen. It doesn't work. I've tried it for 27 years. It doesn't work. Uh, not that I really need to, but I try to anyway. And, and by the way, I was thinking about this you know, I was thinking about what kind of resume do I have on relationships where I think I can change my wife, you know? Uh, I'm not sure where we come across uh, that way, but I've talked to many other people. It doesn't work. That's what they tell me. The, I want to read what a, um, I want to read what Dr. Rick Kirshner says. He says, the biggest waste of effort in a marriage is trying to change your spouse. Since the problems that you have with your spouse are generally problems that you have with yourself. When you try to change your spouse, you come, you come across as a nag and wind up sending the message that who you are is not good enough. Nobody likes getting that message, and it leads to distance and polarization. So, my best advice is just stop it now if you're doing it. It doesn't work. The second reason that you shouldn't try to change your spouse, besides the fact that it doesn't work... It's not your job. I was talking with one of my colleagues who's an administrator, and he sometimes gets frustrated with his subordinates. He's been known to tell them, D-Y-J, do your job. Sometimes he adds another letter in there, but do your job. <laughs> like D-Y-S-J, do your stinking job. That's what I was referring to. Trying to change your spouse is not your job. As we read in Philippians 1.6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us that God has begun a good work in us through the Holy Spirit and will continue to perfect it until that day. It is his work, we have to remember, his job, not your job or my job, as a spouse, parent, or friend to change the other. Many of you uh, know my wife, Tirza. Uh, she was in the first service, and so I pointed over here. Um, besides God, of course, 
she has taught me the most about marriage. I got choked up in the last service, but I won't get choked up in this service. She really has taught me the most about marriage. And probably the biggest thing that she's taught me about marriage, you know, over the 27 years, I don't remember one time in, in which she tried to change me. She just doesn't make a habit of that. She didn't ever, she's never put pressure on me to kind of try to, to get me to change my ways. And, I, and there's many things that I need to change and have needed to change. This in itself has taught me a lot. It's given me the necessary breathing room in our relationship to function, to make mistakes, to learn. And I think the most important thing, it's given me the motivation to want to change. And she's been an example of allowing God to do the work instead of her. So don't try to change your spouse. It's not your job. It's God's job to fix broken people. The second thing, focus on meeting the needs of your spouse. There's a lot that could be said here. I've read a lot of uh, great books, um, His Needs, Her Needs, you know, the, the, the Love Languages. There's a lot of great books out there, but focus on meeting the needs of your spouse. It says in Ephesians 5.33, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, Jesus never focused on meeting his needs. You, you notice that as you read the Gospels? He, he wasn't about that. He was about his father's business. He was meeting his father's needs and, and, and others around him, other people. That's where his focus was. We are to follow his example. John Witt says that the old school view of marriage is the ideal of marriage as a permanent contract, I'm sorry, a permanent contractual union designed for the sake of mutual love, procreation, and protection. However, this view has been slowly giving way to the new reality of marriage, which is seen as a terminal sexual contract designed for the gratification of the individual parties. In Timothy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, he says, since the Enlightenment, our views on life and marriage began to shift. More recently, the meaning of life came to be seen as the fruit of the freedom of the individual to choose the life that most fulfills them personally. Instead of finding meaning through self-denial, through giving up one's freedom, and binding oneself to the duties of marriage and family. Marriage was redefined as finding emotional and sexual fulfillment and self-actualization. Marriage was seen as a contract between two parties for mutual growth and satisfaction. However, marriage has been twisted into the distorted view in which people actually marry for themselves. And this is uh, probably the main thing that I want you to get from this. Um, and we can all fall into this, not just people that are um, you know, younger people getting ready to get married or have been married for a short period of time. We can all fall into this. Marriage used to be about us, but now it's about me, Keller says. And ironically, this view on marriage actually puts a cra uh, crashing burden of expectation on marriage and on spouses in a way that more traditional understandings never did. People, came into, uh, people come into marriage with all kinds of unreasonable expectations as to what the other person will be able to give them. We've got to continually and intentionally shift the focus on meeting our own needs to meeting the needs of our spouse. Isn't that what Christ demonstrated for us? 
You see, the secret, in my opinion, of marriage is found in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus uh, gave himself up for us. Jesus, the son, though equal to the father, gave up his glory and took on human nature. But further, he willingly went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, removing our guilt and condemnation so that we could be united with him and take on his nature. He gave up his glory and power and became a servant. He died to his own interest and looked to our needs and interests instead. You see, Jesus' sacrificial service to us has brought us into a deep union with him and can bring if he hasn't, and he with us. And that, Paul says, is the key not only to understanding marriage, but to living it. So my second piece of advice is to focus on meeting the needs of your spouse. Love your spouse as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. My third point, my third piece of advice, focus on changing yourself. And here's where we'll spend a little bit more time. Whoever finds their life, it says in Matthew 10, 39, and this is one of my favorite verses recently because it's so meaningful. Whoever finds their life loses it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Are you like me, constantly trying to control everything around you? I don't know if that rings true with you. Managing your circumstances based on your wants, needs, and desires also known as trying to find your life. Boy, I tell you, if we could shift our mindset from manipulating our outer circumstances and controlling our environments just to satisfy our fragile psyches to an inward focus of allowing God to change us, also known as losing our life, it would go a long way in bringing fulfillment in us and everybody that comes in contact with us. So don't spend your time trying to change your circumstances. Change yourself. Let's take a look at some advice on changing yourselves. Gary Smalley in the book, The DNA of Relationships, says, Life is relationships, and the rest is just details. I can recommend a lot of great books to you, um, at least a handful. I can recommend a lot of uh, uh, books for relationships, particularly marriage. But in my opinion, there's no better starting point than Smalley's book, The DNA of Relationships. Let me ask you this. Do you find yourself getting into the same spats with your spouse over and over again? You know, they may not start the same, the disagreements, but somehow they kind of end the same. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, where you're left upset, frustrated, maybe confused at how it happened again. How did this happen again? Or maybe you're somebody who has um, a strong relationship with your spouse, and you, uh, you know, you've you've gone, you've done the work, you've gone through the battles, and you just want to mentor some young people. You are mentoring young people, or maybe you're somebody that just wants to improve your relationships with others. If you're any of these categories, I really think this would be a great book for you. And I'm going to borrow some of the key points of what Smalley says in here. Life is about relationships. The rest is just details. So what are some of these details? I'm going to highlight three. Number one, we are made for relationships. 
Smalley says it's in our DNA. You are made to need relationships, even when it's hard, difficult, or just plain frustrating. Relationships are definitely not an option. So what are your relationships like? Are they strong, satisfying, nurturing, respectful, and exciting? Or are they disappointing, strained, distant, painful, and frustrating? I would bet probably you have a combination of both, maybe. But you are made for relationships with others, and so am I. And God wants us to build more loving and healthy relationships. It requires a lifetime of necessary but satisfying work. What about your troubled relationships? Do you see it as the other person's fault? I do that a lot. The truth is, it's never just about the other person. The problem we have with another person is often a problem that we have with ourselves. Usually the pain another person causes you is a fear or insecurity that you have about yourself. God made you and I for relationships. You can't change that. You can either work with or against the DNA, Smalley says, but you can't choose whether it exists. The only choice that you have is whether you will work to make those relationships excuse me, great or allow them to cause you and others great pain. So, okay, you, you ask, what now? Well, let's talk about ourselves for a minute. Before we can really enjoy relationships, we have to know ourselves better. Smalley points out the next thing is what he calls the dance that destroys all relationships. He calls it the fear dance. He says, let me be so bold to say that every person on the planet wrestles with some core fear, and that includes you. In the beginning, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect and satisfying relationship with God and one another. But the moment they disregarded God's instructions and chose instead to follow the serpent's advice, fear took over. It spoiled their relationship to God and each other, and we've been feeling uh, destructive effects ever since. Basically, we all have underlying triggers, what he points out as core fears, that are tripped when we come into conflict with other people. As a general statement, most men fear um, being controlled, not being in control. They fear failure and being stepped on. Most women, on the other hand, have a core fear related to disconnection. They fear not being heard, not being valued, somehow losing the love of another. There's a whole list of them, but those are generalities. I just want to give you an example um, just to highlight this here very quickly. Um, Smalley's, uh, who, Gary Smalley, who's passed away since, his son and daughter-in-law, um, the fear dance is basically our arguments and when we get into it. And so we're going to highlight that. But he, he talks about how his son and daughter-in-law got into an argument and then he analyzed it a little bit. And the, the fear dance is, I hurt, I've been, I've been hurt, I want, I fear, and then I react. And then it's the other person, you hurt, you want, you fear, you react. And it kind of goes in a circular motion. So I'm going to read uh, just very quickly about Greg and his wife, Aaron. And Greg's core fear is failure. Aaron's core fear is invalidation not being valued for what she says or does. 
So, one night, Aaron was working the evening shift at the hospital, and Greg was bored. So he decided, I don't, I don't recommend this, men, to change the arrangement in the, master, in the master bedroom furniture. Aaron usually loves when he does things like this. He moved the bed, repositioned the knickknacks on the shelves, don't do that, relocated the dresser, and generally gave the room a new look. Then he went to bed and turned out the lights. When Aaron got home later, she didn't switch the lights on because she didn't want to wake Greg. She tiptoed into the bedroom, immediately smashed her shin on the table that hadn't been there when she'd left for work. She tripped and crashed into a pair of antique skis that were placed against the wall. The skis, in turn, tumbled onto the shelf containing all their beloved precious moment figurines. Shattering most of the treasures which continued to fall until they smacked Greg on the head. This is actually, I guess, is a true story. <laughs> the combination of breaking glass, falling objects, and screams awakened Greg. He bolted from the bed, forgot that he had moved everything, and ran straight into the wall. <laughs> when the lights came on, here we go, they began shouting at each other. Aaron criticized Greg for moving the furniture without first talking with him. With her about it, her angry words made Greg feel like a failure. Greg minimized Aaron's concerns and defended his decision to redecorate the bedroom. His words made her feel as if her opinions didn't matter. The shouting and defending and sarcasm continued, and the fear dance, Smalley says, was in full swing. So I just want you to, um, to just think about this. I'm gonna, I just want to take a couple more minutes and break this down. And see if we can um, somehow apply this to when we get into uh, to this uh, sort of thing with our spouse or with a friend or, or, or with a, in another relationship. So it starts with the hurt. Aaron hurts. Remember this. The problem is rarely the problem. Men remember that. And women, but mainly men. The problem isn't that Greg redecorated the room, necessarily. The problem is is that he often doesn't think Aaron's opinions are valuable enough to talk to her before he does something like that, and Aaron feels hurt. So Aaron wants, she wants to be validated, to have Greg value her feelings, ideas, and pain. Perk up, men. She wants him to value the fact that she was left out on a decision that ultimately caused her physical pain and broke all the figurines. She wants her husband to meet her needs. She sees him, check this out, as not only the cause of their problem, but also the solution to her wants. She wants Greg to change his behavior so she doesn't feel invalidated anymore. Aaron fears. When Aaron senses Greg's unwillingness and inability to fulfill those wants, she fears that she will be invalidated. Ultimately, she fears a loss of connection to Greg. Aaron then reacts out of fear, she starts shouting at Greg. She demands, why did you go around moving the bedroom all around without asking me first? She continues to shout, belittling and criticizing him. She chooses all of her words simply to get him to change his behavior because she is convinced that he's the problem. Now let's take a look at Greg. Greg hurts. When Aaron starts to bombard Greg with questions and criticism, he feels hurt. He can't understand why she, 
why, um, why she can't see the whole thing was just an accident. Now, don't start taking sides like I, like I have done. It's just an accident. Something he intended for good has suddenly turned into disaster, and he feels hurt. Greg wants. He wants to feel successful as a husband. He wants his wife to fulfill his wants, to help him feel successful. He sees her not only as the cause of the, of the problem, but also the solution of his wants. Then he fears. He senses that Aaron is unwilling to help him feel successful. He fears that he is a failure. And then he reacts. Out of fear, Greg reacts by shouting back because he feels like a failure. He wants Aaron to change her behavior so that he doesn't keep feeling like a failure. She is his problem. Wow. Uh, my wife and I, and I'm, and I'm sure you guys could testify to, to some things in your life, we've gotten into those round and rounds, you know, and um, I, I, I just want to encourage you um, that if this is kind of ringing true, or like I said, if you're mentoring some people, all you have to do is Google core fear or Smalley, and there's actually this PDF that, that, that pops up. It's only a couple pages and you can go through it, read it, kind of fill it out, and it'll tell you a lot about yourself, and it won't take very much time. Um, I think it explains everything. It's easy, and it will be very helpful to you. I'm sure there are other things out there, but this is one I find extremely helpful. What I've found and what others have found, here's the point, is that once you identify these triggers, these core fears, a solution often suggests itself. And in many cases, it takes a true understanding. All it takes is just to figure out what that underlying problem is. And you can solve a lot on your own. Well, there's one more step that I think could be very beneficial to you. And it's called the power of one. You see, you get your fear buttons pushed every day. Yet it's your reaction that determines whether you get stuck in this fear dance. You control the thoughts that control your reactions. It's kind of like the seven habits of highly effective people, if you've ever read that, being responsible, response-able. You have a choice about how you react. No one else controls how you think or react. I'm telling myself this right now. You can't control whether a person pushes your buttons, but you can control how you react to them getting pushed. Uh, whenever you focus your attention on what the other person is doing, you take away your own power, Smalley says. You make yourself weak. In focusing on the other person and what they do, you try to control things that you cannot control. For that reason, it's an exercise in futility, inefficiency, and ineffectiveness. When you focus on yourself rather than the other person, you vastly increase your odds of being able to have some impact and influence over the relationship problem that bothers you. You know, by nature, most of us want to blame those who upset us. We work very hard on trying to get them to change how they treat us. We attempt many unhealthy ways to manipulate them, to force them to quit pushing our buttons. But usually what happens when we take this approach is we succeed in pushing the other person's fear button as as was illustrated between Greg and Aaron. So I encourage you, take control of your thoughts because you are the landlord of your own mind. 
Take responsibility for your buttons. Don't give others the power to control your feelings. Don't look to others to make you happy. Give up your expectations that other people, places, and things will make, uh, will make you lasting happiness and fulfillment. I encourage you to give up those expectations. I, I read this um, definition. Stress is the gap between what we expect to happen and what is actually happening. That's very true. You see, nothing outside of God, and, you, and, and many of you know this deeply, nothing outside of God can bring you life, joy, and peace. <laughs> nothing can. You read, you read about Solomon. He, he lays it all out. He tried everything. He had everything. And he comes to that conclusion. God is what is fulfilling. Obeying his commandments. He's, he's what, in, what is fulfilling. Fearing him. He's the source. And people and other things are overflow. Well, I could probably say a whole lot more on this topic, but we need to come to a conclusion. You and I have the same choice to make, and our choice will largely determine whether we have deep, satisfying relationships or fragile, disappointing ones. I want to conclude with just a really quick story. Um, When I was a teenager, I had a good friend who lived out of town. Every so often, I would cruise out of town in my 1966 Pontiac Bonneville or my 67 um, teal green Ford Fairlane, whatever. And I'd cruise out of town. I love taking road trips. So, so what I would do, I'd spend the weekend and I'd sleep on his couch. And when I would sleep on his couch many a night, many a night, I, um, I would hear his mom and dad, their, their kitchen table or their dining room table, was pretty close to their living room. So I'd wake up, you know, in the morning, early in the morning, and they'd be chatting. They'd be sitting there drinking their cup of coffee and just chatting, you know, and I'd listen to them. And I would think, I was like struck by their friendship. You know, they, they loved just to chew the fat. They were talking about all kinds of things. You know, nothing personal or anything like that. It wasn't eavesdropping. It was just a friendly Good old chat. And I love to listen to them. I remember thinking, that's the kind of marriage I want to have. And, um, you know, early in our marriage, I think we had a good marriage, Tears and I. But we weren't best friends. And this really bothered me. You know, so I allowed God to work in my life. And I read books. And I prayed. And I don't have a perfect marriage by any means. Usually it's stuff that I do. But I can, I can tell you this, that Tears and I have been best friends for a long time. We're best friends. We have many things in common, and we love to hang out together. And I, I just encourage you, you can have deep, satisfying relationships. It's going to take work, and it's going to take prayer, but it's worth it. Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock. And, that, and that's what we have to do. We have to open ourselves up. Like Ben talked about, um, you know, one of the tools of success was the scalpel. Do you remember that from a couple weeks ago? That's one of the tools of success. Allow God to use the scalpel. Well, I want to call our worship team to come on forward. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish um, with a prayer. You can go ahead and stand if you would, please. I'm going to finish with a prayer. We're going to sing one song.
And then I'm going to encourage you, if the prayer team would want to come up, um, or you can just come up, you know, and kneel at the front. If you uh, feel like you need some sort of prayer for any type of relationship, I'm all, I know we probably all have some sort of need. Um, because relationships are tough. We're dealing with other people. We're dealing with ourselves. So I'm going to pray. If you have some sort of relationship need, I would encourage you to come up and get some prayer. We'll sing one more song, and then I'll come back, and then I want to kind of as a benediction, I want to read what Pastor Mauricio said. He gave a blessing that I want to translate for you. So dear God, I just pray for every uh, person that's here right now, all the families represented, our church, Lord God, our community. I pray for our relationships. God, the, our, the enemy of our soul wants to just tear apart our relationships. He works hard at it. We seem to follow suit and, and aid and abet. But I, I pray that we um, you know, follow your way and live in you and let you allow you to work in us in order to um, make our relationships better and help us see where we need to work in order to make our relationships better. God, I, I pray that you give each person in here motivation to want to relate better, to take more responsibility for their, themselves, Lord, to give their, their um, spouse or, or, you know, a granddaughter, grandson, you know, child, give them some more grace, Lord. Just do a work in us, Father. Do a work in us. Motivate us to want to, to change and become masters of relationships, God. I pray for uh, marriages. Strengthen them, God. Um, do not allow the enemy to uh, break those um, marriages that bond apart. God, I pray for all our young people here that um, as they grow up, that they, um, they find the right spouse, Lord, and that you instill in them you know, some of these basics, God follow you with all their heart and rely on you um, primarily.